Now, as we celebrate Black History Month together this month, all of us, I'm reminded of those friends at my children's schools who are of different races or ethnicities. You know, we, lo- we no longer segregate our schools. And I know you know that, but is it fresh enough on our minds each year in February or maybe throughout the rest of the year? It rarely is mine, I must confess. I don't, I don't think about it enough. I'm trying to change that. In Louisiana, for instance, there had to be a first child an African-American child to begin going to school with white children. I find it interesting that Ruby Bridges is credited with this. Now, not because I don't want her to be noticed or notarized or celebrated. I do. But I'm trying to imagine what she won, quote-unquote won, being the first child. She lived in a world where lynchings still happened and were celebrated. I cannot imagine her experience in school was easy. Maybe it was for first graders. They tend to stay underneath a lot of the bickering that we as adults get into, don't they? A lot of the posturing that we do. But for Ruby's parents, I bet it was hell. So I would not be quick to say that the desegregation curtain fell. When Ruby went to school, our vernacular seems to always gravitate toward the extremes when it's much more about compromise. Now, imagine if the Bridges family had been in the spotlight, her whole family, with, say, a white family as well. We'll call this family the Smiths. In the news stories, rather than being about Ruby, even to this day, we're about the two families. Just go with me here in this hypothetical. And the, the Bridges family, for instance, they express you know, together how glad they were that little Ruby would get access to the same educational opportunities as the Smith, Smith children, that the resources would be allocated evenly, theoretically, and that even though they knew it would be very hard for them in the community, they were ready to endure and push forward for what would one day be a much better day. And then the Smith family, imagine them talking about it not having been right for the schools to have ever been segregated and to actually show repentance for how things were and to vow a willingness to help things to be better, to be right, to give up some of the advantages that their children had or at least to share in those advantages. What if the history books talked as much about the Bridges and the Smiths and their work together to live together well. You know, little Ruby is 66 years old today. This was not very long ago. I asked my oldest son this week if he knew Ruby Bridges, if he knew that name. And he did. He knew it. I was so excited. And he even remembered why he knew her name. And I was so glad that he had learned that because I don't think he learned it from Leslie Ann or me. He learned it In school, I would imagine. And he said that she was the first child in Louisiana to be able to go to school with white children. To be allowed to go to school with white children. That is how he expressed it. That's how he understands it. That's how he learned it. But you know what I think? I think those white children got to go to school with Ruby. 
too. I mean, just, 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 just move it into what we know about the gospel and what we say to one another every week in church. I hope what we're saying to one another, I'm responsible for helping lead out in that, for what I hope comes up in our small groups, our life groups, that we're better together, that we benefit from knowing one another, particularly in all of our differences. We are better, more who God has made us to be coming from desegregated schools, desegregated communities, desegregated churches. I've told you before that my dad is a pastor as well. So every now and then I like to, for inspiration, ask him to send me over a sermon that he preached on the particular passage that we are looking at during that week. He's been writing sermons for 40 years, so you can do the math. He's got a sermon on most of the passages that we dive into week to week. Uh, I read one this week, earlier this week, he wrote 20 years ago, for that time, 20 years ago. It's fun to see the ways the text might be preached differently in a different time based on circumstances in the world and what's going on, or maybe how a text is, is, is understood and preached differently relative to the time of year it is in the church calendar. These are some of the ways it's different, but it's even more fun to see the way that the text speaks in our time today, just as it spoke 20 years ago, just as it spoke a thousand years ago, just as it spoke when Luke wrote it, inspired by Jesus who spoke it. It is God's word for us. It does not change, but we do. I've told you this story before, but I'm reminded of the time where N.T. Wright, Tom Wright, was writing his third book about Jesus, and his wife just looked at him, because he writes a book of every two weeks, it seems like. And so his wife probably is tired of him writing all the time. And she said, Tom, you've written a couple of books about Jesus already. Has Jesus changed? He said, no, but I have. Much like the farmer will use the same field, maybe every other you know, year or two out of every three years trying to find that healthy crop rotation to give the soil rest. We have access to God's Word. Miss Susan just explained that very well to us, and we should keep coming back to it over and over again, just as the farmer takes the seed and throws it to the soil year after year to yield the crop. Come on back to it, y'all. I was struck. I'd, I'd Leslie put on a beautiful coat this morning. I've seen it before, but I don't realize it every time she wears it. And I, I don't know, honey, 50 years old? It's Mimi's coat, her grandmother. Still looks great. We have, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but we have apples from Mimi that are frozen. She died in 07. We're going to fix those if we can bring ourselves to do it. So far in Luke, we've seen Jesus come into his ministry. And now he's calling those around him to follow and be formed by him. And he is healing and he's teaching and he's sending those being healed and taught to do the work of proclamation. To say that the kingdom has come and it is coming. And to those who have been sent, we say that to you every week, we are together sent he is sending them to minister as well, to care for and help heal those who need it, which is any of us on any particular day. And for the next few weeks, we are going to look specifically at the unique way in which he taught and told stories 
We heard Kate and Ruby read about it. It's parables. These stories that Jesus told, they're, they're, parables are they're, they're short stories, typically. They're short stories with double meanings. A parable tells a surface story that in our experience with Jesus and the way he told them, and also in the Old Testament, I mean, they weren't familiar. Jesus was using a common tool that rabbis would use to do his teaching. And they, they would have these, you know, familiar Stories within them, they would have connected. He's speaking to an agrarian society about sowing seed. They would have understood where he was coming from and telling these stories. But underneath it, if you dig in to the parable of the sower or any of the parables, it reveals to us a spiritual meaning, something deeper. In this particular one, it reveals to us part of God's character as, as gardener that we see God identified as throughout Scripture in a variety of ways. The gardener who scatters the seeds of life, making all things grow, including you and me. Nothing thrills God more than seeing God's creatures reach the potential for which they've been created for, to slip into their purpose and to be the sent creatures that God has called us to be. As the early church leader Irenaeus put it, the glory of God is a person who is fully alive, Jesus tells us this also. Irenaeus got it from Jesus. It's in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I've come that you might have life in abundance. Probably didn't get that exactly right. I'm working with about seven different translations in my mind right now. But life abundant, have it to the full. I like how my dad, in the sermon I read from 20 years ago, dug into this garden metaphor. He talked about Jesus offering us, God offering us, and Jesus telling us about it, these garden stakes that dig deep into the ground that we can hold on to when the weather gets rough. It holds the plant to that stake so that they don't get compromised by the weather. He talked about the shining light being the Holy Spirit, which comes down like the sun, drawing the plants to turn toward the sun so that the light helps it to grow. A poignant image about how God shines on us to draw us to God's self so that we can grow as well. God calls us, and from John 15, to be like the branches because Jesus is the vine and we're growing from him, intertwining our lives as vines do with one another. We were made to be together with Jesus and with one another. An abundant life is more possible when we are in community with one another and life is more abundant when we were in community with one another. Healthy community. And what we find in Luke is Jesus offering himself to us as a teacher, as a friend, as a healer. And as we follow and are formed by him together, we are encouraged to influence and encourage one another. This is what is so important about community. It's our influence on one another. And that's what I lament most about this past year for our children, so many of them being out of school or in and out of school. Some of them, they haven't even been in a school gathering yet. Our nine-year-old hasn't been in a five-day stretch since last February. It's this February. Or a life group room at church. We just started those back for some of our children this morning, praise God. And we have missed it for good reason. Because the world has been tumultuous. And we have made the best decisions that we can. But they have missed that instruction. But you know what? They'll catch up. They really will. I'm not worried about that as much as I'm concerned about the lack and loss of socialization. 
It's the time that our kids could have been around one another and our adults as well that has been lost that I think is the, is the larger loss. Kenda Dean at Princeton Theological Seminary, she talks about our kids needing five adults for every kid pouring into their lives beyond parents. Mine haven't gotten that in the last year. They've gotten a whole lot of parent. You know, five to one, we can do that, y'all. You're an incredible church. We really can. To serve with us is not just so we can check off a box about what we're all supposed to be doing. We've got to be serving together. Now, maybe children is not what you're called to do. We're not all called to do the same thing. We're just not. But we can do that five to one, and it's going to be really important coming off this last year that we pour into one another's lives, particularly our children. I don't know how children get five to one outside of a church community. I don't think it happens, but it can happen here. Remember what Eugene Peterson said. We talked about this a couple of summers ago when we went through Ephesians. Eugene Peterson said, where Christ is, that's where the church is. And where the church is, that's where Christ is. You can't have one without the other. The way that we in, in, in intertwine ourselves in one another's lives is exactly how Jesus comes to the earth today. It is how we come to follow and be formed by Jesus. We do it together. And that's what's going on here in Luke, y'all. Jesus is building the church. You are reading in these stories as we go through these chapters the very way that Jesus came about bringing us together in what we are still doing today. We call it the church. Jesus is building the church. The foundation is being laid. And if the church is not producing a good crop, delicious fruit, then we are not really being the church. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good ground. Still other seed fell on good ground. And when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. The gardener is gardening. Church, are we good ground? Are we good soil? Jesus is establishing his church. And this parable is teaching us that new life is coming from the ground, from the good ground, the good soil. Are we that soil? I remember reading Blue Light Jazz years ago by Donald Miller. I love this book. It was a memoir of his early life of faith, and it was, it was funny and poignant. And He told an anecdote about one of his friends who was languishing in her faith, in her life, until she read this parable, and everything clicked. The light bulb came on, and she said, I wanted so badly in that moment to not only follow and be formed by Jesus, but to be good Soil. Donald's friend wanted to be good soil. Praise God for that. And that still happens. But what do people find in the church when they want to be good soil? Are we also good ground helping people who get excited and want to be good soil? Look into this parable and see what all can happen when that's not the case. Because it, if you want to be good soil, and I hope you do, I do, but I'm not always. This parable gives us four things to, to guard against. First, external enemies that can trample, that can steal the, the seed before it takes root. Second, it, it is hard, rocky ground. Third, insufficient moisture for growth. And last, the inadequate space around the plant that can leave new life choked off by the weeds before it ever has the chance to flourish. So, so what about our church? What about the church at Harpeth Heights? Here's some questions for us to consider today. Are we growing together and caring for one another and equipping one another to serve? It is integral to the life mission of our church. Are, are our relationships with one another thriving? Do we sense the power of the Spirit strengthening 
our ability to stand up to all of life's pressures are, this is my favorite, are we compelled to invite others to join in what we are doing together? Y'all, I want to be a really good preacher someday, but no matter how good I am, it's not going to matter a hill of beans. I don't know what hill of beans means. I just felt like I should use it right now. It's not going to matter if you don't want to invite somebody to church. And, and, and gosh, there's, there's an, I'm going to tangent now, a whole other sermon. It's not just about inviting somebody to church. I hope you do that. I want to fill this room again someday. But it's, it's, it's to invite somebody along with us in all that we are doing. It's not just inviting them to church. It's inviting them to your life group. It's inviting them to serve alongside you in the food pantry or fill in the blank in any opportunity that we have. It's inviting them to your porch. Where eventually, maybe the second time, the fifth time, the 75th time that they come over, you start talking about the gospel. Last, are our patterns of life and circles we find ourselves in, are they becoming more and more diverse? They have to be. People of different faiths, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, they are moving to Nashville in droves. We have to be open to expanding our circles. Now, if you're not, if, if, if we're not meeting the, you know, affirmative answers to these questions yet don't fear don't give up let's take the advice my dad gave his community of faith 20 years ago i'm literally well almost using his outline from his sermon right here because it still applies today it's amazing first we pray it's our so what from the beginning of january that we looked at as we looked forward to 2021 we must pray for protection from the evil one that the promises of god will be sown in our lives today remember verse 10 in john 10 the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. The thief seeks to take it from us, and we need Jesus and one another to hold on to that seed and to let it grow in our lives. Another thing that Donald Miller said that I remember from Blue Light Jazz is he said that the greatest lie he has ever had to contend with is that life is a story about him. Or the greatest lie I've ever had to contend with, because I agree with him, is that life is a story about me, about myself. That is a lie. That is the lie. We must desire abundant life for our neighbor as much as we do for ourselves, perhaps even more. That is the call. That is actually abundant life, to not see ourselves in the center with everything revolving around us, with us being who exists to be served. Now, perhaps the thief has stopped even trying to steal the seed in our lives. Perhaps we've become so hardened by the evil one that the seed won't even have a chance to take root and the evil one knows this. Our hearts may have become so hardened with pride and certainty over past hurts that we just can't move on. I know that I am oftentimes oh so good at refusing to allow in a new perspective to admit that I may have been wrong. Many of us are hardened and we don't even know it. And we need to pray for ourselves and for one another to have softer hearts. That is what so many of us have had to do and must continue doing to eventually move past the scourge that is racism. The Bridges family was not all of a sudden treated well because the laws changed and the schools were integrated. Hearts had to soften. And come on, we're not blind to the realities facing us today. Many of us, me included, are going to have to have softer hearts to put ourselves in a space where we can truly hear this perspective of our neighbor and consider it, to offer it, to offer them the space to allow it to come into our lives, to just consider it, to hear them, 
Next, we've got to move toward, mo- toward moisture. It's hard to say. That dry ground is not going to yield a crop. There are 168 hours in a week. Just getting together for one hour a week is not going to cut it. Our roots have to grow deeper. We want everybody in a group, and we want everybody on mission. And we're going to say it over and over again. And it's not a legalistic we want you so we can count you. It is because we believe abundant life exists when we are together in a group and when we are on mission together. That's depth. That's having the source as our living That's having the source of living water as our source. Helping to yield a good crop from good ground, good soil. Last, we have to have space in our lives. We talked about patience last week, patience for God to to, to work in us and through us over time. Well, space is equally important. Otherwise, we'll be choked out, lives full of activities, distractions, pursuits that don't amount to anything. And we're going to help with this as a church. We are not going to crowd the calendar with the things that we've always felt like we had to do. Some things are going to go away. We are going to practice giving space to everyone to be in a group, to be on mission. We will be where God has us, our work, our home, simply living life giving life space, the space that it needs for it to be abundant because abundant life does not happen overnight and it doesn't have to. We must be patient. Ruby was six when she walked into that school building in New Orleans, Louisiana. Federal marshals had to protect her when she walked into the school. Ruby was the only student that first day of school. White parents didn't send their children to school, and many white teachers decided not to come into work. Ruby did not have class on that first day, but the second day, Ruby walked in. And there was a a white lady there to teach her. And she did teach her. For the rest of the school year, Ruby was the only student at school. When Ruby began second grade, Her school was thoroughly integrated. Sometimes it takes a whole year. Sometimes it takes a whole year. And the farmer thinks to herself, that crop will be better the next time we throw seed on that ground. Sometimes it takes longer than 60 years. As Ruby Bridges, who is still fighting to this day for social justice and for racial harmony. Y'all, let's be the kind of good soil that helps Ruby and helps anyone else fighting for justice anywhere it is lacking. Anywhere. Good soil. That's what we're called to be. Because a little further down in verse 15, the text reads, But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest And a good heart, they hold on to it. And by enduring, produce fruit. 